0: You know, this is a sector and these are asset classes that uh, people should own in their portfolios. Talk to institutional investors. In most cases, it's second nature that they're going to have some type of allocation to credit.
1: Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on the investment research team here. And on today's episode, we are diving into one of the harder hit areas of traditional finance this year, corporate credit markets. We'll discuss what's driven the price action, where we think markets go from here, and importantly, how investors should be positioned for a slowing economy and a potential recession. So to walk through all of this, I'm excited to welcome Rob Hoffman, the head of our research team. Rob, thanks for joining.
0: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) Anytime. Um, so last time we checked in on corporate credit a few months ago, things weren't looking great. And in the first quarter, the high yield market was down four and a half percent, which other than the covid sell off in 2020 was the worst start to a year for the market in history. Um, but over the past few months, things have gone from bad to worse um, through June 30th. The high yield index was down 14 percent. We've seen the market recoup some of those losses in July, but it's still been a pretty tough start to the year in high yield. Um, loans are doing better on a relative basis. Their floating rate coupon really helped them avoid some of those acute price declines. But as we started to see concerns shift from rising rates to ultimate the ultimate impact on economic growth, loans have started to suffer as well. The market was down four and a half percent in the first half of the year. Again, recouping some of those losses in July, but still, uh, still starting to see those declines with high yield. So I want to to start take a, a step back and just talk about the credit market as a whole. Other than you know the returns that I just read off, what has really changed over the last three months in your view, and what hasn't?
0: Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been really interesting. I think to see how th- the market has changed in moving from you know the early part of the year where. You were really concerned about duration and rising rates and then the impact that had on securities that had higher theoretical duration risk. Then that shifted into some growth concerns, you know, and then you sort of got into, you know, July where you're almost, I feel like, at at peak consensus that a recession is coming. Yet, in response to what the Fed is expected to do, inflation expectations have actually come down as a result. And so you're seeing a rally in certain risk assets. Um, Like it all kind of doesn't make sense to a certain extent, but you really have to look at each one of these periods very specifically. So, you know, I I think that that's, you know, been one of the big changes that we've seen over the past three months um, is more of a recognition of the potential for real credit risk and credit issues, you know, which markets could do better in that type of environment Um, less of a concern about duration risk and rising rates, even though we're in the middle of a big Fed rate hike cycle. Uh, And you're seeing asset classes, I think, respond, you know, based on some of these at times competing factors.
1: Yeah. So I want to dive into that credit risk component a a bit. Um, Something that we talked about a lot coming into the year, and, and we talked about it again in our for our second quarter outlook is really kind of the strong fundamentals that the market has. You know, we still have really low default rates. Um, have have we seen fundamentals? Do you do think they still remain supportive? Um, what are you watching there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is yes. Fundamentals are still generally supportive. You know, one of the the drawbacks of some of the data that we get on on credit fundamentals is that it comes at a, at a lag because you really have to wait to see. How companies report earnings before you can go back and really aggregate all of it. but you know the, the data that we have is that companies are generally doing okay. Default rates, as you point out, are still hovering only around one percent, which versus historical averages of call it you know three plus percent is still really low. And you know while you're starting to see some weakness and some deterioration in growth rates, you haven't really seen things go negative. Um, you know when you look at things like distress ratios in the market, They've gone up as a function of prices being down, but you haven't seen major spikes. And so I think by and large, you know, fundamentals are still conducive to a generally steady, lower type of default rate environment for what we see right now in the market as it relates to credit.
1: Yeah, and we're still seeing those improvements, almost just the momentum of the improvements is moderating a little bit. Um, I actually think interest coverage ratio is an interesting point to, to make is that they improved to a record high in the first quarter. Um, so if we're, if we're concerned about debt service, um, you know, it's a, a yeah. good metric to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and, and look, on that last point, it's a, it's a good point to point out, you know, when we talk about credit markets, that does include, you know, the high yield market, but we also talk about the loan market. The loan market is a floating rate market. And, you know, certainly one of the drawbacks of higher, you know, Fed rate hikes and the implication that that has for SOFR and LIBOR Is that those companies that have capital structures that are very dependent on floating rates, they are going to be faced with higher interest burdens and could start to pressure those interest coverage ratios. So it is something to keep in mind. But I think, you know, where things are right now with where, you know, fundamentally revenues and cash flow and EBITDA have been, you know, that picture hasn't deteriorated significantly, but it's definitely something to watch going forward.
1: Yeah, we'll check back in on that, especially given I think there was only one. By the time that data came out, there was only one Fed rate hike. So we'll check in yeah. on the loan, uh, the loan metrics once we get that Q2 data in. So I want to turn now to spreads. Um, uh, you know, obviously the, the valuation measure for these markets. Um, spreads had kind of maintained; they'd sp- they'd stayed pretty um, contained, basically in the first quarter. And then the second quarter, we we did see them uh, start to widen in earnest, um, peaking at I think a little over 600 basis points. With this July rally, we've seen spreads come in. They're right around 500 right now, which is actually just about the ex recessionary average. Um, so as we start to consider the possibility for a recession and, and slowing growth, what is your base case directionally for spreads moving forward?
0: Yeah, it's a really difficult <laughs> question to answer. Look into I, your
1: I, crystal ball. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that when... I think about all the risk factors that are out there and where things could go, the prevailing feeling that the economy is going to deteriorate more before it gets better um you know, I think that it would be fair to say that spreads probably have a greater chance of going wider before they go tighter. Um, you know the primary question is well, how wide do they go and as you pointed out, you're you know a little bit wide to non recessionary averages by some measures, so you know, from a spread basis, the market is pricing in some of that risk of deterioration. You know, it's not quite as attractive as it was a month ago when spreads were 600 plus. And yeah. you could start to say that, you know, spreads at, at trading at their 25th percentile were pricing in quite a bit of risk. You know, now you're only at like a 40th percentile. And, you know, if you really think you're going to go into a bad, hard recession, you know, spreads probably widen out quite a bit. But, you know, that gets to the the point of, you know, If we go into recession, how bad is it going to be? And if it's only a mild one, what are spreads really saying about where default rates could go? And, you know, if it is mild, you know, there's I don't think there's a case that you have to make that spreads are going to blow out from 500 to 1,000 or anything like that. But, you know, could you go back to 600, 700? You know, certainly, possibly, depending on, you know, where things go and how bad it gets.
1: Okay. So I want to now, Rob, I want to talk about more, you know, more broadly how we think investors should be positioned given what really is a consensus around some sort of impending recession. Again, we don't know what that looks like or when it will happen, but um, we called our Q3 outlook quality time. Um, We've seen We talked a little bit about the oscillations in market leadership that we've seen as we start to get concerns over, you know, as those recession fears really grow louder, we're seeing higher quality assets outperform. Um, So I want to walk through what this up in quality allocation or rotation means for credit markets. Um, So across asset classes and within asset classes. So first, let's start on the asset class level with bonds versus loans.
0: Yeah, it's uh a... you know, his, I think the answer is different than it would have been, you know, 5, 10 or 20 years ago when I got into the market. The, the prevailing wisdom has always been that loans are are the safer asset class. They're senior, they're secured, um, they have higher recovery rates in the event of default. That has changed significantly over the course of really the past decade where, you know, if you look at the loan market by rating, for instance, a significant portion, I think the data is like two thirds of the market is now single B or below. Um, And that's very different than how it was. And it's put the loan market in a position that by rating, it's actually a much lower quality market than the high yield bond market, where the high yield bond market today is actually basically the highest quality it's ever been in history, roughly. And, you know, you started to see this if you look at um, recovery rates on defaults over the course of the past 12 months your recovery rate on bonds has actually been higher than your recovery rate on defaulted loans. And that may be for the the first time in history that that's effectively happened. Um, so, you know, I think one of the areas that that goes against what's been, you know, the historical prevailing wisdom is that if you're going to position higher quality, you would probably position more in bonds versus loans, given the, the dynamic of how these markets have changed.
1: Yeah, and one of the reasons that, you know, that, that we talk about that is that, we see this really big this rise in issuance of loan only issuance, yeah. which, you know, these are senior secured products. But if if they're if only loans are in the capital structure, what are they senior to? Yeah. Um, and if you think about that, the entire funding mix of those companies is floating rate and in an environment where, you know, where we're seeing rising interest rates, that just exposes them to that. Um higher debt service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so within ratings, this should be an easy one. Uh, (laughs) We're thinking double Bs over triple Cs. Am I something I'm missing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's right. Um, You know, there are a lot of opportunities. I think if you look at the markets, you know, you look at high yield, um, you know, your average price on a double B is 92 or so. Like there's still some decent upside there. Um, Especially
1: versus where they were coming into the year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know your your yield opportunities by investing in those, and that's of course just looking at the index. You know, not to say that if you know you you take you take a a deeper dive into individual issuers, you you may find something that you know you think is higher quality based on your credit analysis, but is trading at an even lower price and where the index indicates it. So you know, we do think that there's a, a bit of a move up in quality. You know, within ratings when you're looking within those asset classes. If you're concerned about recession and rising default rates, you know, those are likely just by their nature going to come from the higher risk, lower quality portions of the market. And those are the ones that are likely to sell off more in the event that you do enter in a recession. I think the one thing to keep in mind is that double B's, while they didn't historically, they certainly have this year exhibited more duration sensitivity. But as we've seen, I think, in the month of July, as recession concern grows, your concern about duration and interest rate risk falls. And so that also makes, I think, double Bs a little bit more attractive. Not only is your credit quality better, but if you're now in an environment where you're not as concerned about duration, you would expect double Bs to do better. And, you know, that's something that we talked about, you know, when we wrote the outlook at the end of June, lo and behold, in in July, they are the best performing asset class by rating. So. Um, or part of the market by rating. So it's playing out.
1: Yeah. And one thing, another thing that we haven't brought up yet is the CLO market. Um, and if we, first of all, if we think about kind of on an asset class level, we just view that as, yes, there are it is under there are loans underlying the market. And we did just talk about some of the risks in the loan market, but CLOs have those, um, those explicit investor protections built in. And, and we just view this as really a better way to access the loan market. And things have gotten pretty attractive there as well. I mean, you can get, triple A or double A or single A rated, really, really high rated CLOs that have very high yields over double the yield of a comparably rated corporate bond, even given the rise in yields that we've seen on the corporate side this year. So, yeah, um, a lot of opportunity for, you know, attractive quality allocation in the CLO market as well.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. You know, the the CLO market, I think, is often uh, maligned, given it sounds a lot like CBO or CDO (laughs) or CMOs. One letter
1: can make all the difference.
0: You know, but CLOs did really well in the financial crisis. And historically, from a default and recovery standpoint, they have really low defaults and um, have generated really nice returns for investors. That's not to say that everybody can own them. You know, at portions of the time the market becomes really illiquid. They're fairly difficult to access, especially as you think about, you know, single A and below rated on the on the CLO side. There's not a lot of funds that you're going to find those types of holdings. But you know, for those investors that do have access to the point that you made, you know the the yields are pretty attractive they've gone up quite a bit when you think about their default standpoint, which is really, really low, you know especially versus comparably rated bonds you know I do think there's a case to be made in the c l o space and given some of the market volatility, you can also go up in quality in terms of rating of c l o so that you no longer have to just buy the double b to find attractive returns. you could go into the triple B, the single A's, maybe even the double A's, right now, in fine, mid to higher single-digit returns, which can be really attractive for you know what you're trying to do in, in fixed income.
1: Right. I, I want to emphasize one thing because you brought up kind of the the historical performance of CLOs during market downturns, and we have so now we have the financial crisis where they performed very well, very resilient as well, um, and then we had the the COVID crash. And if I'm just thinking about it, kind of in a vacuum. One of the um, attractive features of CLOs is that you get that inherent diversification because they do have diversification rules in terms of industry um, across, you know, for the collateral pool, it has to be diversified. Um, The CLO, I mean, sorry, the COVID crash was literally everything, you know, everything crashed. So you think like, what is kind of the worst? It wasn't just the the housing. I mean, everything crashed in 08 too, but really (laughs) driven by certain sectors. So it's not you know you had really everything declining together and c l o s still performed very well and and those those investor protection protection mechanisms tripped and and you yeah. know did exactly what they're supposed to do yeah so, exactly um Anyway, so we have some some comfort there hopefully yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Um so let's talk about sectors. Obviously coming into the year we were very concerned about inflation. Inflation creates winners and losers. You're looking for the suppliers, not the buyers. But now we're also weighing who can weather a slowdown in economic growth, some of these rising, you know, rising interest rates as well. Um so what are you watching on a sector basis?
0: Yeah, I I mean I think it's uh You know, I I think you you make the right point. Um, You know, when you look at certainly some of the sectors that have done the best this year, uh, oil and gas and energy across markets, which have historically been a pretty big part of the high yield market, um, you know, much less so today than it was, you know, pre-2014 and the last time. They're
1: still the largest, (laughs) still the largest sector though, just a smaller weighting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, But, you know, that's a sector that's done really well. And and I think given the commodity environment is one that that probably, you know, continues to do okay. um, You know, I think you do have to be a little bit more concerned, whether it's um, economically, you know, sensitive and cyclical sectors or, you know, ones where maybe there's been lower quality issuance. Like if you look at you know, electronics and, and some electronic services companies have been, I think, you know, tremendous issuers in the loan market. You know, back when I was a PM, healthcare was always the leading sector. Uh today I think healthcare is number two in the loan market and you know, electronics is number one at like 15% of the market. And so whether it's cyclical sensitivity and you know, categories like, you know, home furnishings or housings, you know, the areas where you're exposed there. Or sectors where you've just had lower quality issuance and companies that are just not as well prepared to, you know, handle a recession or a slowdown in growth. You know, those are some of the areas where you should probably be concerned.
1: Yeah. And one another thing that we called out in the Outlook is some of those companies that are, um, as we keep as we see the Fed continuing to hike, some of the companies that are exposed to, you know, they're relying on credit extension to their customers. Yeah. Autos have not, you know, historically, yes, relying on credit extension. I'm not too concerned about the auto industry right now. <laughs> still seeing high demand there, but things like that, retail, housing, all of that. Um, okay, so let's let's wrap it up. Um, so we've talked about, you know, some of the risks facing the market, some of the the stuff that has happened this year that has, co- have, has caused this pain, um, and it's it's been a tough start to the year. Really, there's no, you know, no two ways around that. So what would you say to an investor considering a credit allocation now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in the, you know, broad, in the way that I think about it, in the broad context of portfolio construction, you know, this is a sector and these are asset classes that uh, people should own in their portfolios. Um, You know, it's different when you think about and and talk to institutional investors. In most cases, it's second nature that they're going to have some type of allocation to credit and that's not just, you know, private originated credit, which has been a really popular part of the marketplace, but also, you know, liquid credit exposures, um, oftentimes in, you know, institutional, you know, multi-strategy funds that have allocations to bonds and loans and CLOs and things like that within them. You know, that's a, a very common allocation institutionally. For individual investors, you tend to see it a little bit less frequently. I, you know, we hear consistently from advisors that allocations to credit are more tactical. You know, I'm waiting for the market to tank, and then I'm going to buy it. When you know, and, and we've written about this and, and put out some data. When you look at you know long term sharp ratios and things like that um, for credit markets, it, it definitely warrants an allocation and a portion um, within people's portfolios. It doesn't mean it does well in every environment, but you know nothing does. And so you know, I think when you look at the ability to invest in markets that have you know, high single digit yields in an environment where it's still somewhat difficult to find income. Um, If you're a little bit less concerned about, you know, rising rates on the long term side, you know, and the duration, the negative duration impact that has to fixed income, you know, credit markets like high yield and loans are pretty well positioned in that regard. And, you know, the markets are pricing in some degree of rising defaults and recession risk already. And you know, if we do end up with a mild recession and, you know, mid single digit default rates, that doesn't necessarily mean that these markets are going to take a huge another leg down. Um, and in the context of, you know, credit versus equities, you could get pretty decent performance, I think, in credit and, and how it looks in a variety of environments. So, you know, I think it makes sense in the broader context of portfolio diversification. And I think there's a case to be made that You know, there are some attractive reasons to want to own credit uh, within portfolios today.
1: All right. That's a a perfect place to end there, I think. Um, (laughs) So to access the full Q3 2022 Corporate Credit Outlook, as well as the rest of our Q3 Outlook content, you can head to fsinvestments.com. Rob, thanks as always for joining.
0: Sure. Glad to be here.
1: If you liked this episode, subscribe to Fireside wherever you get your podcasts.